Welcome to Blink of an Eye, life stories of trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down, and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything. Episode 23, The Body Knows the Score, Part 2, August 9th, Day 5. Yes, life does change in the blink of an eye. Welcome back. This is part two of a dual episode, The Body Knows the Score. It was just too much for one episode, but I knew you would want to hear the ending and oh, so many learnings along the way. I'll pick up where we left off with the first part of episode 22. So sit back, settle in, and anticipate your own insights and epiphanies. The body holds great wisdom when we cultivate and learn to rely on it. Here we go. It was August 9th, about 9.30 in the evening. James Schmucker and I had left Atlantic Care Hospital and were driving towards Cape May down the New Jersey Garden State Parkway. We drove in silence. It was in that quiet time when I then looked at my phone for messages that I just noticed of changes going on inside of me. I needed so much help. And there were so many decisions to make. But it was such a little epiphany to me that I might help myself if I could try to tune in to my own bodily experience more often. You know, praying with gratitude and then listening to my body as a guide to help me? I know that might sound really way out there, but I realized my body had a lot of wisdom to give me if I could just settle it and listen. As I read the text, I was thinking, though, about cultivating a deeper sense of somatic awareness, like body awareness. That was something no one really told me about when I was young or growing up. As I tried to both pray and then settle and then read the text with gratitude and then pay attention again to my inner response, I could feel the slight rumble of the engine of the car as if for the first time, it was surprising to me. It wasn't easy for me to sit and pay attention in this way. Maybe you can try it too, or maybe you do this all the time and it is easy. 
you're probably better at it than I am. To this day, I still work to cultivate this because I think it does help with right action. We can talk more about that later if you're interested. I am still on the journey of working toward living a more integrated life after deep losses. But here, we can do it together. I have a few more parts of this story with James I want to tell you about. So as we were driving, I'll read to you some of the text messages I was reading to myself exactly as they were coming up on the phone as James and I continued down the straight Garden State Parkway in silence into the night. See how your body responds. Oh, there was a text from my brother-in-law, Billy's brother, Dave Sempt. Louise, we feel every bit of your perfect motherly power. We all shall persevere and bring Archer home safely. Love, Dave, and B. Wow. So sweet. Expansion of my chest. What would the body sensation be like for you reading that text? And there was one from Davis Barsby. You remember Davis. He was the lifeguard at the scene of Archer's accident, the one who called me. Hi, Mrs. Sempt. I haven't heard, and I'm wondering how everything is going. Gulp. Retraction of my chest. Oh, my goodness. I realize I need to add Davis to my family update list. I texted. Hi, Davis. Thank you for everything. I thought I'd share what I sent to my family. I'm with James now and will work on my today update later. We are so grateful for the prayer service at the beach club. As you will read, we almost lost Archer the night before last. Today was a better day. Here are updates. Sending love to you. I scrolled back through hundreds of texts to look for updates of the last two days to copy and paste to him. There was a text from my sister, Elizabeth Sanborn. She texted, Bill said that Archer had a good day regarding his lungs. Praise God. Know that we are all part of the team to restore Archer, exclamation point. Factor us into his care. Oh, wow. Relaxation of my arms. That was amazingly generous of Elizabeth as I knew she had a busy job and traveled a lot. I couldn't imagine her being available, but I felt relieved. I was also aware of a growing worry I had about what it would all look like once school started. Yeah, I felt this sensation in my arms. The start of school felt heavy. Isn't that crazy? In my mind, we were sort of still on vacation. And this horrible thing happened. And we had about 15 days before we had to be back in Maryland. In my mind, I knew that Archer would miss his soccer tryouts. And I wondered if he might also miss the first week or two of school. As I look back, that is truly how it was. 
I could not absorb it all in my brain. That Archer's life, my life, our lives were being changed forever. And that nothing in our normal was going to be normal. I just couldn't take it all in. I was still operating in my mind on what was familiar. We live in Baltimore. I lead a mediation company. We have five kids. They're in college, high school, grade school. We go to Cape May for vacation. I have to make sure the sports signups are in and tuitions are paid. We meet for dinner every night together. We go to church on Sundays. The footprint of our life. I can't quite explain it. It wasn't denial exactly for why I couldn't absorb it. It's just that it was too big and too much change all at once. And change I didn't even understand. I did hold a deep abiding belief that Archer Sempt was going to walk again. His lungs issue is just a barrier we had to overcome. And we had to slow down and do the one day at a time plan. But just for a little while, that was more like how I thought about it. So my whole life wasn't changing. Archer's whole life wasn't changing. We just had to slow it down for a little while while we got over this hurdle. Okay, I knew it was a pretty big one, but that's what I was thinking. Elizabeth also texted, if you decide you want me to get Dutch this week, let me know. What would that text have done to you somatically? For me, it was, oh, get Dutch up in Maine tightening at my chest. Oh my Lord, what day were we on again? I turned to James who looked almost as lost in thought as I was. James, is this August 9th? And he said, mm-hmm. So that meant it was day three for Dutch and the color war games up at camp that he had stayed up in Maine to participate in. Right, color war, it lasted five days. Oh, my Lord, I needed to call Dutch to see if he still wanted to stay to the end of camp. I really wanted him to come home. Ooh, I could feel that in my legs. I wanted him to be with us. That would mean making arrangements to get him in two days. As I had looked over at James, I had a flash of what he had told me about Archer and the TV I felt my eyes focus. I texted Paula, please turn off TV in Archer's room. Received back from Paula almost immediately. Literally just did. I texted her, thumbs up emoji. Oh, I love her so much. I was smiling. My body was settled a little. There was a text from Philippa Shields. You remember Philippa, who had just visited yesterday with her son, James, all the way from Delaware. Thinking of you and your family, Louise, 
and hoping you can get some rest tonight. Any reason Amazon are limiting your book to four copies per purchase? Can that be changed? Please, honestly, ask me to do anything here in Baltimore. We can bring James up again if and when you think that will help Archer. Much love, Philippa. Oh my gosh. The Being Relational book. I felt my stomach drop. There was another text from Davis. Thank you for sharing that with me. I would love to continue to be updated when you can. I'm so happy James was able to make it up there tonight. I wish I were there with him, but we'll be seeing Archer either tomorrow or Monday, depending on your recommendation of the better time to be there. Besides noticing the incredible gracious manners this kid has, how would a text like this impact you somatically when you are asked for your preference? Whew. I felt this pull downward to pause. Maybe I needed to wait and see how Archer was tomorrow. I texted Elizabeth back. Bill and Jack are so dear. Status of the day on its way. Text received back from Davis. Of course, Thank you so much, Mrs. Sempt. I love Archer and your family so much. I pray every day for him. Ooh, I felt a softness in my face, a smile. Yeah, a smile on my lips. I'd never heard Davis ever speak of God or even that his family went to church. And I wondered what church they went to. But anyone can pray. And I was learning, boy, was I learning, that prayer was definitely something most people turn to also. I felt such a connection knowing they believed in God. I don't know. It was just one of those texts, like others, that left an impression on me. I felt it in my solar plexus. You know, that part of the body that just gives you breath. Oh, my goodness. There was a text from my hairdresser, the lady who cuts my hair. She's been cutting my hair for decades. I love her. She still comes up on my phone as Kumbaya, the name of her first salon where we met. Sue Ebert texted me. How are things going, sweetie? I felt warmth in my, mm, maybe just all over. <laughs> it was a surprise to hear from her, and yet it felt so natural. Did you feel some warm resonance too? <laughs> Especially if you have a hairdresser you've been going to for years who knows as much about you as any good friend. Oh, I should probably add Sue to my family update list too. 
I hope I remembered. Ah, I felt a little irritation on the right side of my head, like not having enough time to create the systems I needed. There was a text from Cynthia McIntyre, a neighbor friend back in Baltimore. She texted, it will be okay. Dan was on a ventilator for a week or more before we knew anything. God bless. Oh my goodness, Dan. It was so weird how I completely forgot. I loved Dan, her husband, who was tragically injured in a bicycle accident when he was hit by a car. I really loved him, but I felt sort of far away because they lived in London then. And we would just hear about it from time to time. He was the nicest guy ever. I made a mental note. I must talk with Dan. But my body felt sort of unsettled. Are you sure, Cynthia? I wanted to believe her. She was a friend. I felt this pull in my chest to connect Archer with his friends for support. It was very distinctive. It could partly have been my own need, though, too. I scrolled back to my text from Davis and texted, Any time is a good time. Seeing friends is very important. Then time to rest. Short visits. Perfect. Thank you. Then there was a text from my friend Reelsie Bolton in Colorado. She and I had been in communication the last couple days, and I had asked her to let me know best referrals. Her family was plugged into Johns Hopkins, and I wanted the best spinal cord doctor we could find in Baltimore. Reelsie texted, Oh, Louise, my heart aches for you all. I just want to pause and see if you feel the resonance I felt. You know, anytime I got a text that said, my heart aches for you all, or something like that, something would physically happen to me. And even in the car ride with James, it was happening. I read those words again. My heart aches for you all. And I had this sensation of really being with her. Like I became a part of Realty and she was sending me a part of her. I don't know how else to explain it. But it would happen like that every time I got one of those kinds of texts. Has someone ever written that or texted that to you? Or maybe told you? Maybe you had the sensation like I did of sort of melting. And then sort of an opening sort of a, a releasing a little in a really nice way. It's funny. 
because I feel it in my knees, sort of in my feet. Like her heart knew what my heart was feeling. Oh, yes. My heart was aching. But it felt loosened a little. I put my phone down and felt the tears beginning to sting. I looked out the window at the mile markers and realized we were getting close to exit zero and I needed to let Billy know. I texted Billy, 15 minutes, mile marker 13. I read the rest of Reelsie's text, but I was hooked on her telling me her heart was aching. I think there is a resonance that can happen between two people, or even more. I've come to think of it now as a relational energy field. But I think it can happen even when two people are not together, but have the desire to create an emotional connection. I mean, it's not new, right? Anyone writing a love letter, sending good news, receiving a good phone call, knows the experience. It's like we tune in to each other. And there's a vibration, a certain frequency. It was like that for me. Yeah. When someone told me their heart was aching or breaking for us, oh, yes, they were dialed into me. Just their saying so was resonance for me. And it was really comforting. It calmed me. Sometimes when I pause long enough, I could feel a little tingling in my feet as it made me cry. I learned later that this somatic calming internally in the body and then releasing energetically, gently, is part of re-regulating the body from a trauma. It's a very good thing. I read the rest of Reelsie's text and she said, yes, Jim considers Dr. Wu the best in spine in the mid-Atlantic. For rehab, the Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago and Craig in Denver are the best. Rehabilitation has made remarkable advances, Louise, thereby greatly improving the level of recovery and quality of life for those with spinal injuries. I am here for you, sending my love and praying hard for Archer. XO. Thank you, Rilsey. I so wanted the best for Archer. And I wanted to be the best for Archer. I wanted to be the best mom I could possibly be. I didn't know Real Z prayed either, but it sure felt good that she'd say a prayer for Archer. Hmm. Chicago and Denver. Interesting. I thought we'd stay in Baltimore so Archer could go to school. I closed my eyes a minute 
please, Lord, help us with this discernment. When I opened my eyes, there was a text from Archer's friend, Mikey Detterman, who was asking, can I come up and see him on Monday with Basil and Jennings? My finger started to text quickly, but, oh, yes, my body told me to pause. My body was like, slow down. I just told Davis yes for Monday, and I didn't want to have it be too much. Oh, my heart wanted Archer to see his friends. My mama bear, though, wanted to protect Archer. My head also knew those boys and their parents would need time to plan a trip coming all that way. I literally took a breath, felt my shoulders drop, and I had a message. You don't have to respond right away. That's what my body told me. And so I was still, and I waited. We didn't know yet. There was a text from my business friend in Baltimore whom I'd always loved to spend time with whenever I saw her, Alice Daly. Continuing to pray, love you all so very much. I could hear her voice. I felt connected to her because I could hear her voice. She texted the way she talked. I could never hear enough times that someone was praying for us that they were sending their love. I mean it, both the love and the prayer. If you ever want to make a difference, just tell someone you are praying for them. But actually do it. I realized in my body, I felt, yes, because I knew Alice was real. And she would actually do it. I thought of times I myself had told someone I would remember them in my prayers. But I didn't stop right then and there and ask God and all the spirits in the universe to bring light and comfort to that person right then. I say that because I was noticing in my body when I felt that someone had truly asked God and his universe, I felt this resonance of strength. I could feel it. I think I could. Okay, enough of texts. Although there was a text from my childhood friend, Ann Crawford in Charleston, South Carolina, but it was just XOXOXO. <laughs> Maybe you sign off with XO too. You know, hugs and kisses. Isn't that funny? X actually is the kiss and O is the hug. But we say hugs and kisses, right? I mean, we don't say kisses and hugs. Yet we write XO. Well, I felt that little kiss. I knew she had flown to me all the way from Charleston. Yep, the body knows. James began to talk about the beach club, 
and I stopped looking at texts, but he had more to say. It was nice. He was telling me about folks at the beach club and I was interested in the kitchen where Archer worked. I turned my audio back on again. Paul and Pete were guards there. Mm -hmm. That's what Davis was telling me. And well, Pete was also a runner. Food runner? Yeah, as James and I were talking, I had not paid any attention to the exit off the parkway James had just taken. And it had us going away from exit zero, or at least what was familiar to me. Oh my goodness, which exit was that? I was flummoxed when out of nowhere, or so it seemed, I saw places that were totally unfamiliar to me. I realized in that moment, I did not know where James's home was, and this was not what I thought. I felt this impulse to cut my losses before it got more complicated, or honestly, before I had to ask someone to do something for me that was out of their way. I hated that. I'm telling you, I fight pride a lot. So this is where it got kind of funny because I was just not thinking clearly. I was so wrapped up in what James was telling me and that this is not where I told Billy I'd be. So I just blurted out, oh, James, can you just let me off right there? Uh, that liquor store Joe Canals and then Dairy Queen and Subway. Oh. Are we to read those, right? Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. don't know what I was thinking. And as I look back, I don't know what James was thinking either. I was just thrown off that we were going to some other little town and not to Cape May. And it wasn't Rio Grande either. I remember my mind racing to look around wondering where we were exactly. And I remember crazy, I know, but I just didn't want to trouble James after all his mom had told me. I just didn't. So it raced through my mind. He said he lived near Rio Grande, a small town north by about 15 minutes. But I had no idea where we were on the back rural roads of the Garden State because it wasn't so rural. And I really didn't want to ask him to drive me home and then back. And I didn't want to put him out. I didn't want Patty to be worried. As we had taken that exit, we had passed through this little strip of a very commercial area off the parkway. That's what really threw me. I'd never seen it. It had a subway and a Dairy Queen. I mean, all you need to be a bona fide town in America, right? But I was really caught off guard. I was so lost in my thoughts. I had not been thinking ahead with the plan. And then it was also unfamiliar and surprising. So when I saw the Rita's, honestly, I don't know what I figured, but something instinctively told me to get out right there. So I just told James to drop me off right there. So he let me out at night in the middle of this little commercial stretch that just popped up off of some unfamiliar exit off the parkway I'd never been to in my life. <laughs> and I waved goodbye with a smile 
And he continued on his way like it was something we did every night. Just like that. <laughs> so much for tuning in and allowing my body to give me good guidance. I texted Billy here and called him immediately to let him know it was too complicated to put into a text. I was at Arita's, but I didn't know which Rita's in Southern New Jersey. Rita's Italian Ice was a regional chain of frozen custard stands popular in these their parts. Billy neither texted me or called me back. Hmm. I figured he was doing something and I'd just wait a minute. So I sat down on the concrete curb of the Rita's Italian Ice close to where James had just let me out of the car and I waited. When another 10 minutes or so went by and I hadn't heard from Billy, I actually wondered if maybe I could walk home. Isn't that crazy? I was mixed up. I was trying to think of what I could do. I just couldn't think that clearly in this world outside of my new world, the hospital now. It's just weird. I knew everybody else in my family was either up in Atlantic City or back in Baltimore or Bethesda. I looked at my phone. It was around 9.45. Now, you know what a Rita's Italian ice and frozen custard is, right? Well, <laughs> if you don't, it is one of the most delicious summer treats you will ever have in your life. Rita's originated, I think, in Pennsylvania. And if you're lucky, you can find one in southern New Jersey, eastern Pennsylvania, and even Baltimore. Wherever there's a Rita's, it is by far the most happening place to be on a summer night. And this Rita's was no exception. I watched from the curb as the line had circled, I guess, from the other side. Folks of all sizes and ages lined up. You see, it's a window where you place your order for your favorite Italian ice layered with frozen custard. I'm telling you, one of the best summer treats on earth as they pack homemade, all-natural fruit and ice slush in a cup and then add soft, thick vanilla ice cream, what they call custard, in layers topped with a sweet custard swirl. Oh, it's delicious. It's no wonder, I said to James, just put me out right there at Rita's. But as I sat there, I realized I was sort of in the middle of nowhere familiar to me. And there were no New York taxis. I'd heard my college kids talk about Uber, but not around there. All I had was my phone. No wallet, no nothing. I had really left the hospital almost on a whim after hatching a plan with Paula, thinking I'd drive home, kind of a surprise to be with Billy, but then change plans to ride with James. It occurred to me Billy might have his phone off and be in a deep sleep. Well, I didn't want to bother him. So 
I sat on the curb thinking about what I should do. I thought about asking one of those nice families, I did, if they would drive me home, but I rejected that. I then thought maybe Paula could call me an Uber from Atlantic City if they were there in Atlantic City, but that's a little crazy, awfully expensive, I could only imagine. I didn't even know if it was possible. It was 2015. I again thought I might just walk home. And then I thought, yeah, I know. You've already figured it out. Call Kathy G. Well, it wasn't that late. And I knew she was the kind of friend whom I could call and explain this crazy story to. And she'd come and get me so long as I could just figure out where I was. I went to ask some of the customers in line about where we were. Kathy G knew immediately where I was and told me she would be there right away. While I waited for her to come, I watched all the people on this hot August Saturday night in their shorts and sandals, baseball caps, and some still in bathing suits and cover-ups, tanned or sunburned, all relaxed and laughing as they waited talking with each other, groups of children, families, teenagers, old people, a couple pairs of young lovers holding hands, all waiting in line, anticipating their happiness that they would delightfully spoon out of a Dixie cup. Just like I would have been doing, and everyone does who goes to Rita's, enjoying each bite casually gathered around a few outside tables or sitting on the hoods of our cars. It was surreal to me, though. It was like another world that I was watching from afar. I really didn't care about ice cream. And as I watched the lively people so easily standing in that steadily moving line, and talking with people behind them, ahead of them. I mean, that is what you do at Rita's because you wait while they hand pack each order. I had no desire to enjoy that. I didn't even long for a bite of mango Italian ice, my favorite. I thought to myself, oh, all you summer families. You are so lucky. My boy is on a lung machine, hanging by a thread trying to breathe, and he's paralyzed. I wish he could have even one taste of what's in your cup. It was just weird. Have you ever felt that kind of a split before? Like, all that you knew and loved and was familiar was before. And I had to figure out what it looked like now, after. That's how it was for me. The before and after. I didn't know then, but I do now that it was a small first step in beginning to absorb what had happened as I sat on the curb at Rita's.
I felt it in my body, a profound sense of before and after. I imagine that's how it is for any family when they have lost a family member or have had something sweet and essential taken from them. It's a separation, sort of, as you watch others living freely, moving about with ease, and you create the separation. This awareness that I was creating a separation stirred in me. I was scared. I didn't want to be bitter. I didn't want to blame anyone. I also felt this reprimanding voice telling me to guard against any pity party. But I could feel a widening gap that others might not ever know how I feel. I suppose that's not unusual, huh? And then I wondered why I so yearned to have others understand how I felt. I mean, why was that so vital to me? Why is it when we have experienced such loss that we might want to separate and remain frozen, feeling misunderstood or numb that no one understands. I had to figure out how I felt. I wanted to be understood. I did not want to be separated. I did feel the beginning, though, of an awareness of the depth of my sadness and loss. I got up and walked to the other side of Rita's as it was foolish for me to remain sitting on the curb. His tears were starting to roll down my cheeks again as the cars pulled in and out of the drive-thru. I walked to the other side and the most remarkable thing happened. I knew where I was. <laughs> I knew exactly where I was. The other side. I was on Route 9. James must have entered from the north or east. Of, of course he had. There was just, I guess, another entrance to the Rita's. I had been up here to this Rita's from the south. It was remarkable to me. It was absolutely astonishing how unfamiliar and now completely familiar it was. I was in Rio Grande. That is where I was. I had this flicker of criticizing myself for also having been slightly judgmental about folks from Cape May never leaving to explore. I had just done the same thing, different reasons, but I had never driven around enough 
to know what all sides of this little rural area outside of Cape May look like. And there was this commercial side I never knew. I realized it wasn't so much that we might never leave, but it's what's unfamiliar to us. Do you ever have anything like that happen to you in your life? Gosh, it can really be like blinders. I thought it was totally unfamiliar to me, but it was familiar all along. James just took me on a different path to get there. Like it was hidden in plain sight, you know, all along. Maybe my body did know. Maybe you've had experiences like that too. Kathy G. picked me up, took me home. I found Billy so sound asleep that I left him a note to continue sleeping and that I'd head back to relieve Paul and Michael and I'd see him whenever he got there. I got in my car for what felt like the first time in a while and I headed back in the direction of the hospital. I could have awakened Billy but I wanted him to sleep. I also wanted to go back to Atlantic City. It felt like returning to the hospital was calling me. Unfamiliar, but maybe more familiar than I had realized. As I drove over the bridge away from Cape May, I don't know. It was like the dam broke. I began to cry. And I cried. I put the windows down and the top down on my convertible of my little Mini Cooper in the dark, warm August night air. And I let the wind blow my hair and on my face as I drove fast. And I cried. And I hit the accelerator and drove faster up that desolate Garden State Parkway. I cried as hard as I drove fast all the way until I reached the outskirts of Atlantic City. I'll close now. Oh, I should tell you, Billy, <laughs> he did wake up and come back to the hospital. It was about 1.30 in the morning when he arrived. I knew he had made a heroic effort to come. I knew he had also not had enough sleep, but he had gotten some, and I was happy to see him. I stayed a little with him. I thought it would be nice. I was hoping for a hug, honestly. I love being held. And I thought maybe we could talk about some of our decision-making or at least start a list. He was not interested. Then I wasn't either anymore when he continued to be completely incapable of whispering so that Archer would not be disturbed. At first, he said, he didn't care. 
And then he yelled that he wasn't being loud. I said, let's go in the family waiting room together. We can talk there. But he didn't want to leave Archer alone. It was rough. So I headed home. As I drove out of Atlantic City again, this time headed for Cape May, I felt the tears welling up again. Oh, come on. I'm tired of this. I didn't think I had any tears left, but I was so wrong. The heavy, hot tears rolled off my face and plopped on my cotton shirt slowly as I got onto the parkway. Then they just wouldn't stop. And I didn't try to stop them. As I left the hot lights and blinking billboards of Atlantic City on a Saturday night, I wept all the way down the quiet Garden State Parkway, all the way with messy boogies and wet tears and gooey messiness all over my face and my hands and my neck and my shirt to exit zero. It just didn't matter. I took a shower and climbed into bed in the cool sheets. I was home, my Cape May home, the place that had been one of my happiest places to be on earth. But I felt so alone. I didn't want to do this alone. I knew I was just very sad. There was something about that drive between the Cape May Bridge and the Atlantic City exit sign that was a precious 50-minute carve-out, a little space in time that was all mine. It was as if that drive time was a holding container for me as if time had its arms around me, holding all parts of me, allowing for all my swirling emotions, my fear, my anger, and my racing thoughts. I had that little space in time where there was nothing else except time and me. It was time who seemed to be waiting for me with open arms to be however I was. And I felt held. And that was enough. Life can change in the blink of an eye. When we are able to look back on traumatic events, often with the support of others, we all have the capacity to activate 
our innate ability to observe ourselves. Yes, as best we know, we humans are the only species that has this ability to observe ourselves. I've often told my conflict transformation students that this ability is the basis of moral thinking. I believe it is. Only humans have this capacity. And this capacity that you and I have includes self-observation of what is going on on the inside of our bodies, how we feel, our somatics. Yes, our emotions, but also how we feel as a sensate matter. If we get in touch with how our bodies feel somatically, where that emotion like fear or anger or panic shows up in the body, for example, a tightening in your chest or a strain in your neck or a stab in your shoulder or a tingling in your hands or a numbing in your feet or a burning around or in your chest, we can begin to loosen the grip of the fear or the anger or the panic of the deep loss. We don't heal and reduce our suffering by resisting the pain, criticizing ourselves, shutting down the emotion, or getting stuck in the pain. But not getting stuck doesn't mean restricting or bypassing the sensation. No, it's just the opposite. We want to become curious by waking up our self-observer to follow the sensation. That's right. Each time we become aware that we have a sensation, we can befriend it, not turn it away, but welcome it, explore it, follow it with love and care. The more we do this with everyday living, the more capacity we build for when we are triggered by difficult situations. Placing your mind and the focus of your attention on that sensation enhances your body's capacity to relax and dissipate whatever does not serve you rather than allowing it to have a stranglehold over your life and over your heart and over your living joyfully. You might try that simply by placing a hand on that part of your body where you have some awareness of a sensation or asking a friend to place his or her hand 
with some care and tenderness, but steadiness on that part of your body that you have identified that's activated. That hand will give you support. And focus your attention on that place and on that sensation and become curious about it. What is its quality? Is it dull or sharp or stinging or something else? Is it solid or vibrating? Does it move around? Is it diffuse or is it defined? To remember what our bodies feel like, it's incredibly useful for reducing our suffering and healing trauma. We can access a type of somatic intelligence has been there all along for us, but we might not cultivate it. That can happen easily in a fast-paced Western society that we don't. But this intelligence is ancient. It's kept us alive and our ancestors alive. And with a higher consciousness, we can use our own awareness to be more aware of others in a relational way. We can develop relational awareness and together create trauma healing. It's when we develop our somatic awareness that we gain access to important data in the body. And we can work with that on the path to healing. It's what allows us to cultivate our relational awareness, how others impact us, and how we impact others more easily. We can collectively heal ourselves and heal each other. All trauma healing is in the body. I just really love knowing this and believing this because that's my path. And I imagine, since we are listening in together to Blink of an Eye, that it is your path too, or part of it, or might be becoming part of your path. Oh, in gratitude for our ability to heal. It's really miraculous. All this talk about the body, but it is true. All trauma is healed in the body. And it's never too early or too late to begin the work of trauma healing. Just shift a little bit of your attention to your body, especially when you're activated or reactive to someone else. It doesn't have to be done all at once. Oh, no, it's a process. Every time builds capacity. Even if you think you feel nothing, feeling nothing is important data too. Oh, how wonderful it is that we have this life. (laughs) 
to work it all out and that we have others to help us all along. And we have the divine to support us who is always at our side. Sometimes I forget that. And then I come home again to spirit. And like time, God is always there with outstretched arms waiting for me to return. Let's send together, as we close, a positive intention for all those suffering today from the effects of trauma or from deep loss that is locked in the body. Let us hold our hands out together with a prayer for a calming for every person suffering. And imagine one person right now. See who it is who is placed in your mind. And as you hold your hand out, even if it is in your imagination, hold that person and feel the resonance of your own love for them. You have incredible capacity to be a healer for yourself and for others. Healer, heal thyself first. Life is so precious. Sending love. Hope for everything. Obtain everything. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Please subscribe via email on our site blinkofaneyepodcast.com on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This episode is sponsored by Baltimore Mediation. For 28 years, Baltimore Mediation has served clients worldwide by facilitating negotiation breakthroughs, believing in their capacity for meaningful face-to-face dialogue as they work through difficult, emotional, and complicated family, divorce, and family business situations. Baltimore Mediation is the preeminent training firm training leaders worldwide in basic and advanced conflict transformation and mediation skills, relational negotiation, and the Enneagram of personality customized for their workplace. Public certificated trainings are held annually in June, October, December, and January. You can learn more at BaltimoreMediation.com.